Welcome to Bees in Your Face. My name is Hunter Arias, the son of Dr. Robert Arias, a neuropsychologist here in Lincoln, Nebraska. In this second episode, we talk about hope. I particularly wanted to go over this topic with my dad because over the course of my life, he's come to me with some less than popular opinions about the topic, generally going against the belief that hope can be a positive motivator for change. Uh, Instead, he posits that hope can lead to helplessness and is, in fact, the opposite of a motivator. We both give some real-life examples of where we think hope might tie in both positively and negatively into different people's lives and come to some conclusions that might be able to uh, apply to your life or to anyone else's. So thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy our conversation. I, I wanted to talk today about, um, about hope, because it seems like you have some opinions or some realizations about hope that are contradictory to most people's perception of it. It seems like you, you have a, a disposition where hope is re- relatively a negative thing, um, and uh, it can be like espousing hope can be detrimental to you accomplishing your goals or just in life in general. So I'd, I'd like for you to expand on that a little bit. Okay, nice. Um, well, I am um, uh, always big on defining our terms, okay? So before you have a discussion about something, it's important, I think, to determine what that something is that you're discussing. Otherwise, people end up having arguments, for example, about they're not even talking about the same thing. Right, so it's just ridiculous argument. Um, so hope uh, in the dictionary is like to cherish and desire, right? Um, Nietzsche, German philosopher, classic. Not that I endorse everything that Nietzsche said, but he said. So there's a precedent anyway in history of someone saying hope is the worst of evils; it only prolongs the suffering of man. Right? Hmm. I think most people when they hear that said would think man Nietzsche must have been super unhappy right <laughs> yeah. like in his darkest hour he must have written you know about the evils of of a thing that people can't imagine their lives without yeah right hope right uh, a president not too long ago got elected with hope and change mm-hmm. right um when he said that, I thought, ah, he thinks we're fools. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And for the most part, you know, we're not fools. It's just that people, I don't think, spend a whole lot of time really thinking about what it is that they're thinking about um, or what the words mean or imply by what they say. So um, so people see a sort of dichotomous idea with hope on one side and hopelessness on the other side, really. And those are our two only options. So you're either hopeful or you're hopeless. Yeah. Right? And one is good and one is bad. Of course, hopefulness is good and hopelessness is bad. Um, But it's occurred to me over the years that there's a third option, right? Uh, And I think of it as acceptance, right? So hopefulness uh, is the worst of evils because it sets us up for 
for uh, an emotional reaction if things don't turn out like we hoped, right? And the size of our emotional reaction usually is proportional to the difference between what we had hoped for and what actually happened. Right. Right? Yeah. So people say, as a, as a better means of coping, like hope for the, hope for the, expect the worst and hope for the best. Right? I think that's the worst of all worlds, <laughs> right? Because if you're expecting the worst, then that is a really pessimistic attitude. Like, yeah. oh man, it's just going to be a terrible day today. I just know the worst is going to happen. I know it. I expect it, right? Yeah. And, but I'm hoping for the best, right? Um, I think that's the worst of both worlds. Um, so acceptance is neither, right? So this is a pretty simple idea. Um, I think anybody who would be listening to this is l- looking for a reason to to pan what we're talking about because they don't want to let go of their hope, right? Right. But if what we're seeking is stability in our emotional f- functioning, then we can invest ourselves in hope um, or hopelessness, right? <laughs> I think we invest ourselves in acceptance and understanding of whatever's happening and why it's happening and moving forward pragmatically, accepting whatever it is that happens and understanding what we do in response that will get us the best outcome that we could have. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. I I think the, the general consensus on hope today is probably not the same definition uh, as Nietzsche would have defined it. There, there are a few who espouse the sort of classical definition of hope, as in just completely hands-off, like there's nothing I can do to change the situation, and I'm just hoping, like faith, you know, just hoping for the best, like I, there's nothing I can do. I don't correct people when they use the word hope because I know kind of what they mean by it. Um, but uh, in the back of my head, I, I, I kind of analyze the context in which they say it. Whenever people close to me, I don't either when people say that, generally speaking, uh, but whenever people close to me say, use the word hope, like like your mom or people in my office or whatever, I say, oh, yeah, that's going to help. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, like, like in a funny s- sort of teasing way. Right. Um, but I'm glad you bring up the optimism thing because that is a very important distinction to make. Like if you equate those two things, like there's a billboard north of town uh, that has hope and it equates it with optimism. I can't remember. I'll look next time I come by what it yeah. says. But <clears throat> And I think those two things are different things. I think it's most useful to think of them is different things. Hope being sort of this, like faith, use the word faith. Okay, so what is the definition of faith? In the dictionary, the definition is a firm belief in something for which there is no proof. Mm-hmm. Right? So people likewise, like religious people, use uh, the the term faith just to, just to designate sort of whatever it is that they believe in, like this is my faith. Right? I don't think that that's very useful because it sort of c- can confuse... Uh, just a general belief system with actually what faith is, which is a firm belief in something for which there is no proof. So if we're investing ourselves in something for which there is no proof, as a pragmatic thinking person, I think our error rate just went up. 
Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, let's say we don't require the FDA to approve any drugs, right? There's no clinical trials necessary. You know, we're just going to have faith that those yeah. things, or we're going to hope that those things work, right? Right, right. That's insane, right? <laughs> Nobody would live their lives that way when it comes to approving medications for a use of against cancer or whatever a medication is. That doesn't make any sense, but they, they sort of give a pass to some things um, and they say, okay, well, we're going to, we're going to just have faith or hope about this thing, but everything else we're going to actually require some data. Right? Yeah, right, right. And, and that just is, incon- is, ins- is uh, nonsensical to me, right? So optimism, I think it's most useful to think of optimism as something that, that's, that has some sort of a, of, a, of a foundation in evidence and in reasoning that results in a natural uh, – optimism right a natural belief that this this outcome might actually happen but it's based on some good information yeah right that our brains can wrap our minds around as opposed to just sort of hope which doesn't have a connotation of anything but like christmas wishes you know or <laughs> yeah. something like that does that make right. sense yeah so is there a good place to apply hope to your life or is it just a completely useless concept that uh, is going to have no positive or negative outcome, or I guess it could have a negative outcome, but uh, no, no tangible relevance. I think it's just a harmful concept. Yeah. Frankly, um, it's something, you know, like, uh, and I'm not a communist. I am a capitalist for sure all uh-huh. the way through. Right. But Karl Marx said religion's the opiate of the masses. Right. And we're not having a religious conversation per se, um, for, for probably for better, <laughs> but for whoever's <laughs> yeah. listening to this, but, uh, um, you know, it, Hope makes us makes people feel better for a little while, right? right? But right. then there's a there's like a um, um, then you have to pay the piper at some point from that, as opposed to just the person who's sort of pragmatic about everything. Like I was in this uh, this physician uh, uh, leadership training thing last week, and we had these breakout session, and we were talking about um, the way things should be. Right. Yeah. So for a psychologist, should should's kind of a four letter word, you know, to be avoided for the most part um, because it's ambiguous. Right. Shoulds mean like what I wish would happen or what I think would be right to happen. Like mm-hmm. I should have exercised today. Right. Right. You say, well, I, that, I wish it's subjective. I, would, I wish I would have hap- wish I would have exercised today. You know, and I see hear that. And I think so is what you're saying that it would have been a better choice for you, which is how I think, what I think that phrase is to replace should with, yeah. to have exercised today, meaning to displace something that you reasoned and chose to do today as a high enough priority to, to actually do. We should have, del- it would have been a better choice to delete that for the day and have done some exercise. Is that what you're saying? So like tomorrow you're going to adjust your plan and actually exercise tomorrow because you realize the, the error of your ways today? Yeah. No, nobody thinks that way. <laughs> they just like sort of beat themselves up like I should have done when, you know, they wouldn't they wouldn't do it. They wouldn't have deleted any of the things from today necessarily. And they're certainly not going to delete any of those things tomorrow. They're going to eat the same Twinkies and sit on the couch yep. for just as long tomorrow. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I love I love that that kind of um that disposition where it's it's all up to you. Like there's nobody else that can make your choices for you. Well, and the I, things that you do every day are the things that you're going to do every day, you know? Yeah, you're actually going to do those things. We're not right. going to try. We're going to actually do those yeah, things. Yeah, right. So in this discussion with these other physicians, I, I was 
I was saying, you know what? I tell my kids this. Things in the universe are exactly the way that they should be, mm-hmm. right? Which doesn't mean that they're the way that you want them to be or wish them to be or hope them to be. But they are that way for some reason. And by that reason, by saying that, I don't mean that necessarily that there's a puppet master that's controlling how things should be. But if we understand, and this is what I said, if, the, if we understand the antecedents, like the things that came before and led up to what is, then yeah. we would understand what is as a, as an necessary i mean it would make no sense the laws of physics would cease to exist in the universe right <laughs> yeah. if those things happened all those dominoes fell and then this domino is still standing without it would make no sense right right and so one of the other physicians said she goes i, I would have hated it if you were my dad <laughs> <laughs> you make too much damn sense <laughs> yeah there, there's nowhere to go yeah right i mean you don't get to cheat on reality of things and pragmatism and stuff with hopes and and all those sort of um sort of at best frivolous things you know right yeah that's one of the reasons i i appreciate talking with you 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 have you have a firm grasp on on what it is that you value and uh generally do during the day and why you do those things it's so funny to hear you say that because it makes it reminds me when you were just born uh you were literally like a month old Right. And I said to your mom, I said, he's he's a sensible guy. <laughs> and you were a newborn baby. Right. I've always thought of you as a very sensible person. Right? Yeah. Not not that, you know, we all make mistakes and stuff. Not that you've made very many, but, you know, you've been a generally very sensible person. Right. And I've always thought of you that way. Um, you know, I, I like I don't remember it word for word, but a quote from Marcus Aurelius. He said, if anyone can refute me can show me that basically that, that I'm wrong. Um, I'm happy to listen to that. Yeah, yeah. Because I'm, all I'm after is the truth, and the truth never harmed anyone. No, right? for sure. Uh, Marcus Aurelius being a uh, Roman emperor. Um, there's a really good book called Meditations uh, that were basically his journal, as I understand. Mm. So love love that guy. He was a great, uh, uh, he was a Stoic, right? Yeah, the Stoicism. Yeah. People um, hate Stoicism these days. It It's like eating vegetables. Uh-huh. That's the way I think of that. You, know, <laughs> you don't get all the all the like the the uh, potato chips and ice cream. Yeah. With that, you sort of come to terms with the reality of things. Right. And you move forward in a in a non-emotional way. And we're so saturated with emotional things and right, and right. you know explosions in movies and all kinds of things like that. And where's the plot development? You know, where's just like the nuts and bolts of st- st- stable living? So we touched on the difference between hope and faith. Um, and it seems like hope from my research consists of acceptance, which is what you proposed as an alternative to hope that was going to be more healthy and a need or a drive to action. That's just the way that it's defined in uh, psychology today or the, you know, the American Psychological Association, that's how they have defined it. Um, so do you think... So they define hope hope as mm-hmm. as an action? Yeah, they define hope as, as having both uh, acceptance of the situation and then a, a sort of drive for action, which seemed to go against what you were positing. Well, that seems insane to me. Yeah. Um, from a... Just like how people use the word hope. 
that that doesn't make any sense to me with regard yeah. to how colloquially people use the word hope. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense to me either. No, they don't. They don't. They don't. You people don't describe hope as an acceptance. It's it's the opposite of an acceptance, right? Mm-hmm. Acceptance and hope are antithetical ideas. The right. way I think it's most useful to think of hope, like ex, like I'm I'm okay that I'm okay if we if we if we lose the game tomorrow. To, yeah, you know to, that sort of a metaphor. But I, I would you would don't you want don't you want to win the game tomorrow? Yeah, I I would prefer us to win the game, but I'm okay either way if we do or don't. I accept that. So hope, hope and, and acceptance are antithetical ideas. People don't say, well, I, I hope we win the game. I, I accept that we don't win the game. Okay, if you use it like that, then hope is like a desire. Okay, that's what it says in my dictionary definition of mm-hmm. reading of the of definition of hope is to cherish or desire. Right, and the, the desire was the second component of hope as addressed by them. So it was the, the, the desire and then the acceptance of what was going on. Right. So I don't see any acceptance in the word hope. Um, you could say, well, I will accept it if, but I'd rather that we win or I'd rather have whatever outcome I'm, I'd rather have. But okay, so you, you could say, I, I, I would rather us win, but I'm going to accept it if we don't. You could say that. Um, but hope has an impl- implication of, a, of an emotional investment in something, right? Right. And so for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. Right. So however, however hopeful you were is how disappointed you're going to be. So some people say, uh, hope for the best, expect the worst. Right. I think that's the worst of both worlds. Right. So uh, to be really accepting and open to whatever the outcome is going to be, you don't want to expect the worst because then you're just a pessimist all the time, whether there sometimes there's reason for pessimism. But oftentimes there's not reason for pessimism. There might be reason for optimism, or we might just be completely agnostic about it and have no data upon which to make a prediction about what's going to happen. We just have no idea. Like if you were to go to, the, to a horse race and, and I were to say, hey, what do you think about horse number eight? And you were like, I don't know, he's pretty shiny and he looks like an, I have no idea of what horse eight is about, right? So you think he's going to win? I don't know. What are the odds, right? You need some information to make a prediction about even a stab at something in the dark. Um, so, do you are you going to bet on him? I don't know. Uh, if you you want him to win, okay. Well, how long do we need to to, um, to uh, hammer home that we want the best outcome possible? We already know that. We don't have to spend any time talking about what we want. We know what we want, right? Yeah. Um, we want peacefulness. We want whatever. So, I, I like the definition of nirvana as a relinquishing of all desires, right? So if hope is a desire and nirvana is a, or this sort of peaceful state is a relinquishing of desires, there's, there's no peacefulness with hope, right? There's a, acceptance and hope are not the same thing. So if I'm peaceful with whatever happens, I've decided that I'm going to accept that without any drama internally or externally. Um, there's no action that's required in that. There's just a mindset that the, the only action is I d- directed my thinking to a particular thing, but there's not a behavioral reaction. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. <clears throat> there was a really horrible study that I read, horrible as in just the execution of it. Uh, they There were some people who had ulcerative colitis, and they told half of them that they were going to be able to have their colon replaced later on once they removed it, Right. And then there was, and they told the other half that they weren't going to be able to have a colon for the rest of their life. 
And when they surveyed the individuals in the study, after like two weeks or a month after uh, the surgery had taken place, uh, the people who were told that they were not going to have a colon for the rest of their life were much more satisfied. Or they, uh, they registered much higher levels of um, positivity. And that, that, was, that was in an article about how hope has some downsides to it, but it was from the same APA uh, website where they were saying that hope has an element of acceptance. So to me, it seems like there's not much of a consensus on what hope actually means. So, so the study that you cite is a, is a really good example of what I'm talking about, okay? Uh, and there's an old saying that applies to that. And I have a pain specialty, and so I treat lots of pain patients, and I have taught pain management classes for years on teaching people how to do chronic pain well, okay? And the old saying is, the only intolerable pain... Is curable pain. Is curable pain, right? You've heard me say that before, oh, right? yeah. probably. Yeah. No, it's great. It's another thing that I think about regularly. Yeah, I think about that every single day. Mm-hmm. So in that study, they, they, they sold to this half of the people, apparently, that... Um, their situation is going to be curable in the future. And they sold to the other half that, look, this is the way it's going to be. Mm-hmm. There's no wiggle room with this, right? Right. Um, and that's that's the way that it is. And people accept that. There's no fit throwing. Because if you think of, I had this conversation with a patient today, actually. Um, so somebody like a child or whoever throws a fit. Here's what I think. Um, and I said this to your brother once when he was probably, I don't know, eight maybe. Um, you know, he, he, uh, he was unhappy with a particular thing and he, he gave me a, a harumph, right? Like that and a little attitude and, you know, like he can do sometimes. And, uh, and I said, so what's your end game with that? (laughs) Yeah. Right. Right. And he was confused. He was a little kid, you know, but I say this to our dog too, you know, we have a golden retriever and in the morning she's excited and you go see her and she'll walk around and take the hand towel off of the little hook and she'll be carrying a, a blue hand towel around the kitchen and then if you leave it her leave her with it for long enough she drops it on the floor right over there and i and i yeah. say her name's sherpa i say sherpa what what's the end game with that <laughs> you know like where, where were you going with a towel plan you know, yeah. you're going to leave it over there use it for later whatever well there no. must be some element of satisfaction in being dissatisfied you know what i mean so, Why else would people do that? They have to be like, if, yeah, all right, I'm doing something right here. If they, some people will say, and I had this conversation with another patient today, people will say that it's cathartic, right, for them to do that. Um, but depending on how your environment responds to you, that y- you will consider that in what you, how you behave, right? Yeah. So if there's no chance of anything, anyone doing anything in response to your, we would call it in pain, we would call it a pain behavior, right? Um, so pain behaviors are things like, in physical pain, are things like um, limping and guarding, like holding your arm up and guarding, or moaning and groaning, right? Those things are very powerful. I have an hour-long lecture on pain behaviors, okay? Those things are powerful attention getters, and the environment then is unwittingly, oftentimes unwittingly um, reinforcing the person's pain behaviors, right? So like if I say, oh man, and you say, dad, are you okay? What's up, man? How are you feeling? Right? Yeah. And I have a chronic pain problem, then 
you know, every time I want you to come and help me, I might just say, oh, man. So the classic couples example of this is, oh, honey, I have such a headache tonight, right? What she's saying, or he, could be he, right? What that person is saying is, don't touch me. But they're not communicating that directly. They're communicating that through some indirect pain behavior. If there was no point in them doing that, they would never do that. Yeah. Right? So if they had no quote-unquote hope or chance or reason for optimism that anybody is going to come and do anything for them, uh, they would stop doing that. Yeah, right. right. Um, they would. Um, so if you if you talk to a patient, a pain patient alone, versus with a solicitous support system or spouse. Solicitous means someone who, can I do anything for you? How are you doing? They're soliciting mm-hmm. uh, pain behaviors, verbal complaints or whatever from the person, right? If you have that spouse in the room, pain behaviors go way up pain tolerance goes way down. If there's nobody in the room that they think is going to cater to that, mm-hmm. then they don't do the pain behavior because there's no quote unquote hope of having that satisfied. So we become just more of a pragmat, so much more of a pragmatist without the potential for anybody indulging our pain behaviors, right? Yeah. So that's the point is we settle in and we just, we just, we're just okay with it. Okay, like I had this patient several years ago. She came to see me and she had a pain, pain problem. She was suicidally depressed, okay? I saw her for a few months and she really got this idea. She was great. She was doing very well. Then one day she comes in, she's back to square one. Why? Because she saw a physical therapist that said, hey, your hips are out of alignment. Nobody's ever told you that? That probably is the cause of everything. And now all of a sudden she's angry again that everybody's missed this thing that could be the cause. And she again has right. hope of this um, uh, you know, being remedied or something when she had come to accept it just fine. So acceptance and hope are antithetical ideas. They don't go together. Um, that isn't to say that we don't try for, to effect some outcome in a situation we can still attempt to fix whatever the problem is, mm-hmm. but it's difficult for people, for, as human beings, and I'm a human being, I understand this, it's difficult to simultaneously fight a two-front war, right? And the two fronts are acceptance of things and also trying to fix things, right? So fixing it without hope, like fixing it while I'm still accepting it, that's hard for people to do. Um, hence the saying, the only intolerable pain is curable pain, because when people are finally told there's nothing that's going to be done for your colon afterward or whatever in your study, um, then they're okay with it. But as long as they think that there's some quote-unquote hope out there, then they're not. Yeah, you're going to have to learn to live with a bag in your hip yeah, for the rest of your life. Like, okay, people yeah. can do that just fine. You yeah. see animals do that. Yeah, you see a three-legged dog walking yeah, around. I saw, squ- I saw a squirrel with a poop bag on its hip just yesterday. <laughs> nice anyway so i had i had another question for you um okay so can't hope simply be a product of optimism and a goal so i'm doing all i can i hope additionally to my efforts that this works out and it could be a positive driving factor so i i i I spend my days talking to people and thinking just as a human being, okay? I don't think it's useful to confuse or conflate this idea of optimism and hope, and as we've talked about. Yeah. Right? Optimism, I think, is most useful to think of as a well-founded investment 
of ourselves, right? As opposed to hope, which is really just sort of blind, like I just want this to happen. So if I have some reason, and reason is the underscored word for optimism, it means that I've, I've thought about this and I have some good reason to believe that the further efforts toward this end goal are warranted, right? Mm-hmm. Based on the ev- good evidence that I have, not just based on the fact that I hope it works out that way. And I think that's a super important distinction to make between those, idea, those ideas of hope and versus optimism. Yeah, but for somebody chasing their dream, say, say there's somebody out there who has a really great idea, like a genuinely great idea for a YouTube channel or um, an album or something like that, you know, and they they execute it really well, and they're seeing no returns. Would hope be an appropriate reaction to that? Like, I'm going to keep doing this, and I genuinely hope because I know that it's a great idea that things are going to work out. So, you know, even as you say that, watching you say it, your teeth are gritted and you have Mm -hmm. this like tension in you saying that as opposed to say it without the hope, say it with just being pragmatic and say that again. I have a great idea and I'm going to keep executing it the best, the best I know how. Why? Based on what reasoning? Because I know it's a good idea as evidenced by all the evidence that is laid out before me and the knowledge base that I have to execute it. And so what happens if that doesn't work out the way as you go along and as it's unfolding and you realize, oh, crap, this isn't uh, this. This is just not going to pan out. Then then what? I am going to consciously dispel helplessness in order to objectively and rationally find a new course of action that I will be satisfied with. And what happens if that works out or doesn't work out? Literally. Sun comes up and then what happens? I don't know. You tell me. You'll get up and you'll do the same process again. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You'll reformulate plan C, plan whatever, right? Okay, right. Now, now give that reaction... And I say reaction because it's going to be reaction, not a response. You just gave me a good response. Give me the reaction with the first guy that you did, with the teeth gritted and all the hope. <laughs> you're really, you're really pushing my acting skills here, man. Uh, <laughs> no, be it, be, be, be that character. So I, <laughs> I can't do it, man. I'm sorry. So you say, I. I I want I really want this to work out and, and yeah then, and then okay as you go along and then you see it kind of falling apart right for whatever reasons in your control or out what happens then to be that guy <laughs> stress and conflicting emotions and yeah curse cursory language I don't know cursory yeah yeah all right whatever which one do you want to be. I want to be the peaceful guy. Yeah, absolutely. That's what yeah. I'm selling you, man. That's the idea. That's the clarification of, of these concepts that we're talking about that produces this stable, wise person, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's hard to imagine. And, and the image that I and I think most people have of like the, uh, the elder wise man, you know, like the sage guy, the Dalai Lama, whatever. You don't see those people having those emotional reactions to things, right? Because they've acquired... In an infrastructure of thinking that that results in the natural organic result of that is this peaceful stability over mm-hmm. time. 
Who's perfect at that? Not I. Not I. No, not you. No. Who is? Uh, but you know what? It's like I, I love golf, right? We talked about golf. I, I, I'm never going to hit all my shots in the fairway, right? Nobody hits all their shots in the fairway. This is about margin of error and reducing your margin of error, right? Um, it's really nice to be right in the middle of the fairway. Fairways seem so wide when you hit it right down the middle, even if they're not that wide. But if you're wild, they look so small, yeah. right? It's, it's funny. I always feel like golfers are probably the most well-put-together athletes that are out there. They, you know, because golf is such a cerebral, meditative sport. Um, and when you listen to them talk after they're done in the round, it's very, can- it's very uh, laid back and candid, just like, this is this, like they say in The Deer Hunter. I was watching that scene the other night where he's holding up the bullet. And he's like, this isn't, this isn't that, this isn't that, this is this. That's great. Yeah. yeah. Just accept it for what it is because yeah. it's not going to change. Exactly. It requires pragmatism. Yeah. Right? That's that's the word I was searching for a second ago was pragma- pra- yeah. pragmatic. It, re- it requires pragmatism. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't be hopeful and, you know, pipe dream. No, you can't be any of those things. Now, you can have ridiculous goals. Right. right? Which is awesome. Um, it, it's important to have ridiculous goals. But at the same time, you accept whatever happens. Uh, you make a plan and you work the hell out of that plan every day. You invest yourself in that. Why? Not because you hope it works out. Obviously, you want it to work out right uh-huh. as well as possible, but we're not going to invest ourselves emotionally in that. We're just going to be pragmatic, stable people that wake up and reason, this is the best course of action. I'm in the right place for me today. And just be in that place all the time. Yeah. I think the the barrier to that is each of those times where it doesn't work out or you feel like I'm not in the right place at the right time. How, how would you recommend reanalyzing that and going about changing your behavior? First thing I think is it's good to know. I mean, Mm -hmm. if you come to the realization, I am not in the right place for me, that's a good place to be as a start to correcting whatever's needs correcting, right? Is, is useful to correct. A worse place to be is right before that. Yeah. Because you don't know you're not in the right place. Right. Right. So you have to hit rock bottom. You have to go lower uh-huh. right, than you already are, further away from the right place, or at least longer burning daylight in your life of not being in the right place before you realize you're not in the right place and you make a corrective action. Mm-hmm. So that's what I always think. Oh, it's good to know. So when somebody, I had this conversation with a patient today about getting angry when people don't do what you want or whatever, and people are always getting quote, quote, unquote, pissed off about everything these days. I mean, that is the go-to response for people. I hear, I hear that phrase all the time about political situations and interpersonal situations. And like, there's no reason to be pissed off about anything. That's one thing that I generally try and um, internalize and bring with me into everyday situations. So thank you for that one. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, it's really important. Um, you, that that kind of a re- reaction is um, um, super common in people who aren't accepting of the things, and they hope that people would like them, or they implicitly, if not explicitly, hope that nobody, somebody wouldn't flip them off in driving today or whatever. And they do, and like, like, okay, what did I learn today? 
It's the it's the you remember Shel Silverstein, right? Yeah. Um, it's the Three Stings poem. Right. Yeah. Right. The first two kids got I stung. I learned something about bees today. Right, and they're one's angry and screaming. I wouldn't have got stung if I'd stayed home today. That and... will require a tetanus shot. <laughs> Requires so a Homer Simpson, right? Yeah. Fiddle dee dee. Yeah. Um, but but Lou, the third kid, um, says I learned something about bees today. Right. Okay. That's exactly what I'm talking about. I wasn't hoping I didn't get stung by a bee today. I'm just paying attention. I'm an attentive like observer of my environment and I learn things and that informs me for future decisions. And I'm grateful for the opportunity to have gotten stung by a bee today. All right. Because I learned something, right? That might be the hardest mental process to really accept. You know? As if something doesn't work out, then you you grit your teeth for a second and go, This is this is exactly where I need to be because I now I know that the light bulb is not made this way and I'll just have to try it again some other way tomorrow. <laughs> yes. When you were like 10, you brought me a poem. Do you remember that? If by Rudyard Kipling? Yes, uh-huh. If by Rudyard Kipling. Do you remember that interaction? Um, I remember you really liking the poem, but I don't remember the specific interaction. Well, we were standing right by the weight room. Um, okay, yep. By the and, weight room, yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. And you said, hey, Dad, this is my favorite poem. Can you tell me what it means? <laughs> I'd actually never read the poem before, right? Oh man, yeah. Young, I, I wish, young me has so much insight. <laughs> oh man, yeah. I, I, I wish I was still naive or not naive, but innocent enough to, to do things like that. You know, You're well, like, I, re- I like this in this way. Don't know why. Yeah. Tell me why. Intuitively, you <laughs> realize that there was a lot of wisdom in that, right? Yeah. Yeah. You just need to fill in the blanks with it, right? Right. Um, so anyway, I, I read the poem standing there in front of you, just reading the whole thing. It probably took me a while because it's kind of a longer poem. Uh, and I had tears running down my face, right? And I said, dude, this is all what I want to teach you mm-hmm. all in one poem, right? There's so much of, uh, of the things that are important lessons to learn in life just in that one poem. He must have been a wise person and thought that crap out, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so anyway, I thought about that poem just now in our conversation because I was thinking about, you know, it's like if you can lose, if you can watch all the things you give in your life too broken and stupid, build them up with worn out tools, right? Uh-huh. Um, that that implies a, and never breathe a word about your loss, right? Right. That, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Right, that person is not a, a reactive person. That person implicitly did not hope anything. He say, "Well, again, defining our terms, yeah, they didn't want that to happen. Yeah, but that doesn't occupy any of our real estate and our thinking. After we see it happen, we just say, okay, 'Okay, I'm going to get on with, you know, like I told you, what's going to happen. The sun comes up the next day, and you're going to get on with things, mm-hmm. right?' For these days, in our sort of, I, I think you know, we're pretty spoiled." And parents, I see, use that that word with their kids as though, or grandparents, as though it's like a it's like a dirty little yummy <laughs> thing that they have that they spoil. <laughs> it's so I spoil the kids, right? Yeah. And it's an indulgence for them, but it's harmful to their children, uh-huh. right? Um, so, do you, do you think the same could be true with relationships? You think if you spoil your significant other, could it taint? If it's not if it's not reciprocal and the other person is not, I guess I maybe mean, takes you for granted, right? Do you do you you know? Ha- absolutely, man. Absolutely. In fact, I've told your mom countless times over the t- almost twenty seven years that we've been married. Perhaps the greatest gift you've ever given me is the ability to 
give you everything I could ever give anybody and never be able to spoil you. Yeah. I don't think I could ever spoil you. How right. many people did you, have you ever met that really would fit that description? Uh-huh. Almost none. Yeah. Right? Um, it's because you want to and you believe they deserve it. And they they also do deserve it. Like you get mom a really nice bike because she is the most avid cyclist that anybody could ever know. <laughs> you know, it's true. And that's a superficial thing, a thing to get somebody. Right. The things that you give of most substance of your time and your care and your attention. Mm-hmm. Right. All those things um, where somebody has this this unkillable value of reciprocity. Mm-hmm. Right of wanting to contribute at least as much as they've gotten, because it's more fun to give than receive, right? Right, right. Um, from people that earn their, two people that earn their value, man, that there just aren't that many people. I think of, um, I think of that movie Cinderella Man uh, with uh, um, Russell Crowe. I haven't seen it. He was a boxer. Too, though. Yeah, right? yeah. He was a boxer. Yeah. It's like back in the 30s maybe. It's been years since I've seen the movie, but I always think of this example. You know, back when Russell Crowe was like three. <laughs> just kidding. No, he wasn't yeah. born yet. <laughs> yeah. No, he's not 90 years old, I don't think. No. <laughs> but he, he got he got some like government money or something, right? And and then he went and made his life as a boxer and made a bunch of money, and he shows up at the at the welfare window or whatever it was, and he gives a whole wad of money back. Hmm. Right? With no questions. Just gives a whole bunch of money back because he wanted to feel not uh, exploit, exploiting or usurping from something that he didn't contribute back to. Right. In our, in our, in our environment these days where. Not feel dependent on whoever as well. Right. Or just not reciprocal. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, in our environment these days where people will just get whatever they can get out of something, right. As much as they can get, there's not a whole lot of thought, I think for most people of what they give back, Mm -hmm. right. What they contribute. And the people that do give lip service to that, um, most people don't trust them because they can't even identify with somebody who would feel that way. Right, right. Right. So I think that value is super rare. So to your question, yeah, I, absolutely. I think I think you have to be very, very careful. Uh, in fact, mom and I were talking last night and, you know, the game, Neil Strauss, right? Uh-huh. I gave you that book when you were a teenager. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's cat string theory, right? Right, So like yeah. you play a little hard to I get. love that. Yeah, no, it's great. Whenever I'm talking to girls, I might be interested in them. It's always in the back of my mind. Yeah. Even though I, I wish it wasn't. <laughs> yeah. It's just a piece of pragmatic advice. It's yeah. definitely interesting. So I never had any game, man. I have written any game at all in that sense of game. Uh-huh. You know, my my MO with that was always, hey, I like you. Can we spend time together? And then people are like, you're too easy. In fact, I had a girl tell me, a woman tell me that one time when yeah. I was in the early 20s. Now uh-huh. you're too easy. And she said that in response to saying, hey, I'd like to change a date from like eight, uh, from like uh, 6.30 to 7. I'm like, okay, that's not a problem. She's like, you're too easy. I'm like, I I thought I just, <laughs> okay, you wanted to change the time of the date, you know? Um, you should cancel the date right then and there. I should have canceled the date right then and there. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Realizing that what she wants is someone who's more complicated. Uh-huh. Right. These days we'd call that a simp. Oh, really? What's a simp? A simp is somebody who gives girls or other people more energy or care than they deserve. Yeah. You know? Right. So inherent to that is this idea of, of equity and reciprocity. 
right? I'm avoiding right. the word fairness because that's fraught with other things, which is a different podcast for us to do. Uh-huh. But it's equity and reciprocity. There's a general equity in the give and take of things. Anyway, um, my, my game was always, hey, I, and again, Mom and I were talking about this last night when we met each other. You know, we met each other and we got married four months later. Yeah. Right? That was almost 27 years ago. But it was like we met each other and it's like, hey, it's you. Hey, I, I like you. Let's spend time together. And she's like, yeah, I like you too. Let's spend time together. And then we were together ever since, right? Man. It's, it's that song. You remember this? That... You guys were also late 20s, early 30s. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? We were. We'd been around, right? right. We'd been around. Yeah. And I think I think that's sort of... Uh, the sorry to uh, kind of go on a side side tangent for a second. One of my major difficulties in talking to girls today is how uh, the apathy just permeates, and they expect so much out of the guy and expect to do nothing in return. You know, and guys like me, who one might. Uh, label a simp <laughs> because I, I probably care a little too much and I'm willing to go out of my way to do something for somebody who maybe doesn't deserve it. Right. Um, sorry about that. <laughs> we got a buzzy phone. Can I stop and take this? Yeah, go for it. So one of my major frustrations when I'm talking to girls, uh, is the apathy that generally permeates my generation. And I've come to the conclusion that it's probably just their low self-esteem, uh, particularly um, amongst really pretty sorority-type girls, you know, which is why I don't talk to them generally. But they haven't developed a healthy self, a sense of self-esteem yet, and so they're not willing to accept somebody treating them kindly um, and with respect because they don't feel like they deserve it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um. So I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. <laughs> well, on topic with hope, because we can we could have a con- entire conversation about self esteem. Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd love to. Self esteem is one of the things that I think about more regularly than most things. Yeah. Well, on the idea of hope, so as as you the, the you character in this interpersonal interaction, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, if you're hoping that this female that you're or whoever that you're meeting, whether it could be a friend or a romantic interest or whatever. Um, if you're hoping that they're going to be the exception to the rule, um, that I, I would say hope would be some of the bees in your face. Yeah. Right. That would cloud your pragmatism. Right. For sure. Right. On what's equitable and re- to reciprocate in this situation, and in fact, with your eyes open to see what it is that's actually in front of you, because if if you're if you're not clouded by some arousal of some sort. Um, of hope or some emotional arousal or sexual arousal or whatever, then you're free to look at this and go, oh, or or inebriation on alcohol or substances, <laughs> right? That, yeah. Like people get more attractive, like the drunker you get, right? Yeah. So if you're not drunk... Actually, Mythbusters did a test on that. And, <laughs> did they? Uh, the girls tended to think that guys were less attractive. Oh, really? Uh, on the Mythbusters team, from oh, what I remember. Interesting. They're like, ah, that guy's stupid looking. <laughs> <You know? laughs> well, for guys classically anyway, and I'm not sure if anybody's done that study on for the guys. But, no, uh, yeah. Well, guys thought they were more attractive. Okay. All they right. Were less. Nice. Well, I, I totally believe that. Yeah. But if you're not drunk on anything, including hope, then you can just look at what's in front of you, and people communicate so much to you 
mm-hmm. to others about themselves through their mannerisms, not, not, not even their words, but just how their, their facial expressions and their body posture, how yeah. they dress, how they just all of the things about them scream all kinds of things about them. Right. Right. So if you're not deluded by hope that this person is going to be the exception, then you're free to look at that and go, oh, I, I recognize all of that. And we could do a whole show on, on uh, a conversation on stereotypes and that sort of a thing. And I would love to do that, actually. Let's put that down on the list. Let's I'll... just do a podcast about podcasts we want to do. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Bucket list of podcasts. <laughs> anyway, yeah. But if you're not deluded by hope, that this per- then you can just look at the person and go, oh, I, I get that. This person is not reciprocating. And then you can stop investing earlier then, and then just stop beating the dead horse, right? I said mm-hmm. it to somebody today, hey, the horse is dead. And she goes, yeah, all right, the horse yeah, is dead, yeah, I'll stop, right. right? I'll accept that. Yeah, I'll accept that. And then you just go on, acceptance, right, exactly, mm-hmm. and we move on without the drama. Dope. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoy this episode and have any questions, comments, or topic ideas you'd like to send our way, please shoot an email to shalletrecords at outlook.com. That's shallot, as in the onion, records at outlook.com. And we will get back to you uh, probably in 2021 because it's right around the corner. So have a happy new year, everybody, and stay tuned for new episodes soon. <laughs>